Morning Ramp Church and Merry Christmas. We are coming to you on Christmas week and so thankful to be able to connect with you in this way and to hopefully set aside with you through this, the next few minutes, just time and space to really focus in on what this season is all about and how glorious and what good news it is that we have a God in heaven who loved us so much, who entered into our world, became a human while still being God and broke the curse of sin, bringing us from darkness to light. And I just wanna encourage you, Ramp Church, to take time in this Christmas season to dive into some of the passages in this book, the Bible, that tell us about that, that particular time in history when God entered into humanity and was born as a child. Earlier this week, I was reading those passages, and you can find some of them in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah chapter 11, and then Matthew, the very beginning of Matthew, and the very beginning of Luke, the very beginning of the Gospel of John. And I was just moved again with just fresh wonder, the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of God's goodness and grace entering into our world to save us and to rescue us. And no matter how long you have been walking with Christ, no matter how much you know about him or how familiar um, the stories in this book, the true accounts in this book are to you, the great news about the word of God is that it is still alive, still speaking. And as you position yourself to, to just focus in on the grace of God as revealed to us in Christ this week, I believe you're going to find wind in your sails and strength for your, for your season right where you're at. Um, we've been praying for you, we've been thinking of you, and, and we are continually bringing you before God. He's the keeper. He's the sustainer. He's the one who holds us all together. And in that truth, we rest in this season. In 2020, we can look back, and I hope that you will, with me, join Joe and I in just taking the end of the last few weeks of 2020 and looking back and seeing the faithfulness of God remembering and recalling to mind how he has brought us through, how he has spoken to us, how he has revived our hearts in moments where we felt we were faint, how he has brought fresh strength and new mercy and faithfulness. And I just declare over all of us, Ramp Church, that we are in just a, a continual, for the rest of our lives even, but even in these last few weeks of December, that we are in a mode of remembering and rejoicing in all that God has done for us. There is so much to be thankful for. How, how can we have things to thank, us, to thank God for? What, what do we have to thank God for? Well, I think some of the most helpful things we can do in challenging times is we go back to this book and we preach the gospel to ourselves. We preach the message of the good news of what Jesus has done for humanity. We remind ourselves of it. We meditate on it. We let it sink into deeper layers of our heart just how important it was for us to have a Savior. We have to intentionally remind ourselves of why He had to come and, and that gap between our humanity and sinfulness and the holiness of God. 
And that gap that could not be bridged by our own efforts and by humanity, that gap had to be bridged for us to access God. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves that Jesus alone could fill that gap and that he came to earth to fill that gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And now because he came, we have a restored, reconciled relationship with God the Father. And we can know God personally. So for those of you who have been maybe tuning in for the past few weeks, you know that we have been diving into the book of James. And although I'm not preaching specifically on the book of James this morning, I'm going to be touching on the Christmas story. I still feel like my lens for reading um, even the Christmas story, I've had some of the themes of James forefront in my mind. And as I was reading the book of James, I think one of the things that really stood out to me out of all those amazing passages was just the simple, a few key verses in James chapter four, where it talks about God giving grace to the humble and God giving generously grace to us. And how, do you know what, do you know what grace is? Do you know that grace is the undeserved favor and blessing of God? Mercy is him withholding what we deserve and grace is him giving us what we don't deserve. And let me tell you, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take a lot of deep thinking for me to know that I didn't deserve access to God. Even with the best of my own behavior, it was all warped with selfishness woven in. And God's grace came to us through Jesus Christ, his undeserved favor, his undeserved blessing on us came to all of humanity so that those who receive him can actually not just receive grace once, but I love the way it's put in John chapter one, through Christ, we receive grace after grace after grace. So let's, let's spend the next few minutes just talking about this Christmas message and how God's grace to the humble comes through in some un unexpected ways. And I'm going to start by just reading to you the, the passage, one of the more popular passages in, in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to, I want to encourage you just to go back this week and actually read the whole account and savor it and meditate on it, read it slow, read it fast, and, and let it get into your hearts, the Christmas account. But I want to just point out a few things from, from this um, passage, and then we're going to go over to John 1. So first, this is the story. I'm going to start in chapter um, 2, verse 8. And in summary, this is the account where the angels break on the scene where the shepherds are shepherding sheep. And this says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But an angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Don't you love that? I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. 
What a peculiar sign for a high and holy king that is God himself that's just entered humanity. Let me read that last verse. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Then in verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Isn't it interesting God's huge prophetic promise of a Messiah prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish history recorded in in this book, this bold prophetic promise of a Messiah that was coming to save and redeem God's people from sin, from death. This epic, life-changing, history-altering, forever Uh, forever changing the course of all humanity, this massive promise of God is now breaking into the scene of humanity in such a small, humble means and method of birth through a virgin teenage girl born in a manger and then angels declaring this not to Herod the Great and all these people in high places, but to shepherds. Shepherds were lowly people. They were kind of outcasts. They were the bottom of the the rung of the ladder as far as society and class go. All of this to me reminds me of exactly what God says in James and all throughout really this, um, this, this word here is God's drawing near to humble, to humble people to those who recognize their need. It reminds me of Jesus saying that he came to save those who are sick with sin, not those who are healthy. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, let me find where I put that here. For This is one of my favorite verses, Ramp Church, and when I think of the Christmas story, I think of this promise of what God said, and it's actually Isaiah 57, Isaiah 57, verse 15, and this is from the Amplified Version. It says, For the high and exalted one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, says this, I dwell on the high and holy place, but also with the contrite and humble in spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite meaning those who are overcome with sorrow for their sin. So here is this high and holy one, God, Jesus, who existed with God. Before even the world existed, there was God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling in the high and holy place of heaven. 
Where God was ruling in heaven, there was no sin, there was no disease, there was no suffering. It was his rule and reign. And everybody submitted to that. And because of that, there's peace there in heaven. There's wholeness. And then man here on earth was given the earth by God. Man was given stewardship of the earth by God. And then man relinquishes his authority over the earth and gives Satan a foothold believing the lie of the devil, betraying God's trust, and now becoming allegiant to just doing things the way man wants to do things, not keeping God in God's place. And then through that, through that break of relationship, man turning and rebelling against God, now all hell starts to break loose in, on earth realm. Man's relationship with each other is strained and broken. Work becomes such terrible toil. Childbirth and parenting and everything is now under the curse of sin because man has betrayed and rebelled against God. And now then suffering comes. And the enemy, Satan, he is now through agreement with man ruling and reigning and breaking chaos into every realm. God in heaven, there's perfect peace where he rules and reigns. No suffering, but he sees the man that he's created, humanity that he's created, that he loves, that he created the world for, that he made for relationship with him. He sees, he sees the distress, the injustice, the suffering. And he has a plan to bring us back into harmony how to bring us back into restored relationship, how to change us from the inside out so we're not rebellious anymore, so we're not enemies with God and we're not independent of Him and proud of doing things our own way when it's all turning out to be a disaster. God has a plan and His plan is He is going to enter into this world of suffering. He's going to put on human flesh. He's going to come into the earth realm and be the Messiah and the Savior, not from a distance, but up close and personal. And with his first coming, he is showing us, he's coming in weakness, and he's showing us how to be triumphant right in the middle of suffering, how to have joy that is deeper and even more significant than temporary pain. He's showing us how to live a life that's restored in relationship with God and with each other. And he did this, and I love it the way it puts this in John chapter 1, is he was the word, the eternal word of God, and then he entered into the world he created. And the world that he created rejected him. But all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. In fact, let me just read to you one of my favorite parts of that passage in John chapter 1. What Jesus did to rescue us. Let me, this is John chapter 1. Starting, I'll just skim, but I encourage you to read the whole chapter this week. John chapter 1, starting in verse 14. So the word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. Oh, doesn't that just make you lean in to love this Savior that came for us? We couldn't ascend up to God. Remember we tried with the Tower of Babel? We thought we'll ascend up to God. We'll, we'll reach God with our own effort. We will figure out our relationship with God. And we couldn't do it. 
And remember Israel and the relationship that we had, the very dysfunctional relationship we had when, when everything was based on our obedience, but our hearts were still hard. It was this terrible, painful cycle. Israel would love God when things were desperate and they needed his help. And then as soon as God would reach in and help, Israel would turn their back and not need God anymore. It was very hard. We couldn't figure it out. Why? Because our hearts were always far from him. But then Jesus comes and he's going to bring a new covenant. He puts on flesh. He comes in human likeness. He, God himself, enters in as the suffering servant to lead us to victory, not by avoiding suffering, but showing us the way to have joy, to have relationship, to have peace with God, to triumph over evil and darkness right in the midst of all of this dysfunction, to have a connection with God himself that sustains you no matter what kind of hell is breaking loose on the outside. So Jesus comes first, first time he came, he came in weakness. He's here. I just read you in Luke 2. He's, he's born in Bethlehem in a manger. And some of the first people to know are these shepherds, these people who are outcast. Now, Jesus is coming again a second time. And when he comes again a second time, he's coming in power and glory to completely annihilate and bring all things to full manifestation of glory and new life. But he came the first time so that those who believe in him will not have to be destroyed when he comes back a second time to establish the full reign of his kingdom in every realm. Isn't that glorious? He comes first time here in a manger as a baby. This God man showing us how as a human we can relate and live in the kingdom of God while surrounded by the kingdoms of this world. He shows us what victory looks like walking the streets of Galilee and in Israel. He shows us what authority and relationship with God, how it actually plays out as a human submitted to the will of the Father. And he offers life to all of those who will simply believe that he is the Son of God who has come to bring salvation. To all of those who accept him. I think this, 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 this way that he first came, it's, it's astounding to even see him coming to the shepherds, for instance, him being born in a manger. All of these things are kind of perplexing. Why, why wouldn't he come with more pompous, more big display of power? Why would he come through meekness? Why would he come in humility? I think it's because he's trying to preach to us the very message of salvation through every detail and facet of his life. Think about this. Think that he said in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Paul speaks of this salvation plan that God had in Christ. And he said, you're saved not because of what you've done. There's no boasting here for those who come to Christ. But you're saved by grace. You are saved because God said, I'm going to bestow on those who believe in me this undeserved, unmerited favor. I am going to make a way for them to be in my family when they aren't deserving of that. But I love them so much. I'm going to make a way for them to come to me. We are saved by grace through faith, not doing things that we can boast of. 
And I think of in James 4 where it says he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We just talked briefly about how even that whole principle, why he chose Mary, why he even chose the nation of Israel. I mean, thinking back through the way God worked in this book, he didn't choose Egypt that was really powerful and successful or Assyria or Babylon to preach his message and through his prophets. He chose Israel, a small ethnic minority nation that was often oppressed. He worked through Israel. When you look back over the Old Testament, you see, you know, back in the ancient cultures, they, they really put a lot of stock in the firstborn son. And the firstborn son was the one who got the inheritance and the wealth and the social status. So when God enters the scene, he's, he's choosing. Listen to this. I loved, I loved how it, even the, the history of who God has chosen were people like um, he chose Joseph. He chose David. David was one of the youngest, the youngest in his family. He chose people like Gideon, the least of his tribe. He chose, and then in a culture where women were prized and valued just based on fertility and outward beauty, he chose Sarah. He chose Sarah who was barren. He chose Hannah who couldn't have children. He chose, even in this, the New Testament, the story of Christmas, he chose Elizabeth who was well beyond her years and barren. So over and over, you even see God is picking the least likely. He's picking them based on his grace and his favor, not based on what they have to contribute to his cause and plan. And I found this very, very encouraging and the salvation message, just the fact that we can't earn it. So encouraging today, and even this week as I've been meditating on it, that God's message in his favor, his favor for the people who believe in him, it's based on the fact that he loves us and he's chosen us to be in his family. This is great news. You may feel disqualified. You may feel like you've done too much. You may feel even like you being used of God for anything, that your chance is slim. But when you read this book, you see God intentionally, he intentionally chooses the weak and the foolish things of this world because it better preaches the message of salvation that no one has any room to boast in the presence of a high and holy God. He's the high and holy one. He's so high and holy that in Revelations 20, it says that the earth and the sky flee from his presence and they can't even find a place to hide. In 1 Timothy, Paul says that he dwells in this unapproachable light, this God of glory. When this God of glory revealed himself to people like Moses and the disciple John, they fell as though they were dead. They didn't think that they were going to be able to live even being in close proximity to God because he was that glorious. When you meditate on the glory of God, it makes perfect sense that of course there's no room for boasting in God's presence. And this reminds me of another theme from the book of James, where James is, is constantly, a few times throughout the book of James, he's reminding us as believers that we're not to show partiality or favor towards some people over another. Why would he say that? Why is, in fact, in James, he even says that those who show partiality, he says, how can you even claim to know God if you show partiality towards and prejudice towards anyone? 
That's in James 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you have faith? Wow, that seems like a pretty, a pretty deep cut. Well, it just is our tendency. It's, it's, why is he saying it like that? I think it's because faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus comes with this, with this knowledge that it's by grace. It's the fact that Jesus... Jesus received us when we didn't have the merit to be received. We didn't have the credentials to be received by God. But he chose us because of what Jesus has did. Jesus enters the scene of humanity and says, I'm going to save them, not based on what they do, but based on what I have done and their ability to receive it and accept what I have done. This message of Christmas, of, of Jesus coming through the nation of Israel, revealing himself to the, the people who would be least likely. It, it challenges us and it comforts us. It comforts us because it reminds us that we are loved by God, not because of what we bring to the table, but because we have been created in his image and we were made for relationship with him. We are accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put our faith and belief in him. And even thinking about the challenge, it challenges us to make sure that we aren't judging others. It's funny the way people judge. I mean, Jesus was from Nazareth. And when Nathaniel, one of the disciples, heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, which was a very unlikely, it was far from the power center of that day. It, just think back hills, remote Nazareth. Nathaniel said, what could come good out of Nazareth? I mean, think about the least likely to succeed location to be born and think of the Messiah coming through that means, through that place, through that town. You see, we judge people based on where they come from and what degree they have, and we think they're qualified because of how they look, or we are partial towards them because of how much money they have or don't have. But all of that is nonsense. It's thrown upside down when Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to reemphasize what matters and teach us what doesn't matter. I love there's a passage in Isaiah where it says that when Jesus comes on the scene, when the Messiah comes, he's not judging based on mere appearance, but he's looking straight to the heart of people. And it challenges us because we're not just meant to be catering to the poor, but then snobs to the rich. And we're meant as, as disciples, we are all those who have received from God's grace. It's a level field there at the foot of the cross. The rich, the poor, all of us in need of this undeserved favor. All of us are righteousness like filthy rags. All of us humbled before this God of glory. It challenges us as well because some of us, we need Christians in all, all spheres of society. We need Christians where the rich and the powerful are, and we need Christians where the poor and the lowly are. We need salt to be sprinkled throughout all of society. But it challenges us to not to not favor some above others based on outward appearance or credentials, but to treat other people the way God has treated us, looking beyond those outward worldly values and finding the face of Christ in each person and valuing people because they are created in the image of God. They too are in need of grace and mercy just like we individually are in need of grace and mercy. This high and holy one who inhabits eternity. He comes into the human, the earthly sphere, and he begins to teach us the ways of God. He begins to show us that relationship with him 
is not based on the good things that we've done, how powerful or anointed we may feel, or how not powerful or anointed we may feel. It's based on faith. It's the foundation is this trust in Him. This wholehearted trust in Him. When you're thinking about your own self, you know, 2020, some of us may find boasting and may feel proud of how much, it's funny the things humans can feel proud of. We can feel proud and maybe how much we've attained, how we look, the place we're born. But we can also take pride in how much we've suffered, what we've endured. We look to the rich or to people who have it easy and we say, oh, well, they've always had it easy. I've had it hard. I'm, I'm the real hero here. I've had to go through this and this and this. The things that we pride ourselves, the things that we boast about is, is silliness. It's, it's, it's so changing always. And I promise, and even sometimes I remind myself of this, we will never sacrifice more than he sacrificed. And we will never suffer more than he's suffered for us. And we will never succeed more than he's succeeded for us. There's no room for boasting here, but there is room for radical rejoicing. And that's what one of the, the things I love about Christmas. In Christmas, we get to meditate and remind ourselves the grace of God that came through Christ, that rescued us, that gave us access to a relationship that was too high above us to attain. And now we recognize, we recognize with fresh eyes again that this is by grace, the goodness of God received by grace, by his favor and his love. We recognize him even though sometimes he's hard to recognize. Sometimes he's a baby. Sometimes he looks, sometimes he is hidden almost in just the familiar every day. But we recognize this God of glory that has come. And we recognize our need for him our great need for him, for his mercy and his love. We recognize sometimes the painful cutting truth that we are a sinner, that I don't care who you are or what you've done, self is still enthroned in the heart and self has to be dethroned to put the one true king there in its place. We recognize those painful truths. We recognize that sometimes our best efforts are still done for our own pleasure and our own our own self. We recognize that even in all of our best efforts and all of our failings, that there's a God who had a plan to bring us to himself. We recognize all of that. We remember all of that. And then we can look at that gap that he filled and we can rejoice. We can find room for rejoicing that he uses these unlikely ways and methods. He uses things that just don't make sense. The way he works, the way he fulfills his prophecy. I don't care how prophetic you are, what even, even knowing the prophetic took, it just takes this radical amount of faith and even discernment to see that Jesus, this baby in this manger with angels, is the Son of God. And once we recognize that, I want us, Ramp Church, I want this week, to even be a week of radical rejoicing in what God has done for us and bringing us out of darkness into the kingdom of his son, this kingdom of light, bestowing on us eternal life. When he came with eternal life, he pronounced over all who believe in him, all suffering is eternal. All battles have an end date and there's victory and there's power and there's overcoming for all who believe in me. In closing, I just want to 
provide an opportunity for us to, um, to maybe even just reflect. And let's reflect even in our own heart where we have grown dull to this message of God's favor and love that has been freely given to us. And Lord, we ask for fresh wonder. We ask God for our hearts to just be filled again with the light of what you coming actually has meant for us. How it's not just changed the course of our eternity, but it has brought glory in to manger moments, to very unexpecting moments where your glory is now present, your light now present. Lord, we reflect on our own helplessness. We, we can't put faith in humanity. We transfer our trust from humanity, thinking and believing that humans can muster up some sort of goodwill effort to save themselves. We relinquish that belief and we acknowledge, Lord, humanity, ourselves, myself, we cannot save our own selves. And we recognize that we need a savior and we receive you, Lord Jesus. We receive your grace. We receive the mystery. We receive, Lord, the parts of your coming that are just so mind-blowing. Our minds can't even fully comprehend it. We receive your forgiveness, your life. And Lord, we also want to make room for repentance. Lord, where we have wrongly favored some and shown Partiality, Lord, to those who can help us or the rich God or people who look like us and think like us and we favor them above people who are different than us or who are lesser than us. Lord, we repent for believing that lie that any of us has any room to boast in you. How foolish a thought, God of glory, that we could stand in your presence and have anything, Lord, that would merit, we're bringing something to the table for you. Lord, we just repent, Father, for our high and lofty thinking, and we humble ourselves as the gracious recipients of your life and your goodness. And we ask you, Lord, to lead us into deeper, deeper real love, a love, Lord, that looks like the love you bestowed upon us. Lead Ramp Church, Lord. Ramp Church, I just want you to even pray this with me. Lead us, Lord Jesus, into a more accurate expression of your grace and your mercy that doesn't favor one person or another or esteem this person because of this outward achievement and demean this person because their lack of that achievement. But Lord, Show us the cross and show us salvation through every lens that we look and bring us into a more accurate expression of this love that came for us, that pursued us and rescued us and make us a people of genuine love and genuine worship for you and be magnified, Lord, in every home and every heart this week. We celebrate you, Lord, and we rejoice in you, God, our Savior, for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ramp Church, reach out with anything that you need prayer for. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, just comment and we want to be in touch and help you journey towards deeper intimacy with Jesus. We love you and we're praying for you and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday.